What's up, Dirty Cones? What's up, Dirty Cones? Today, we have a special, never-before-done podcast where we're having two individuals. They'll tell you who they are and mm-hmm. all those particulars. Mm-hmm. And most of the podcast will actually be them talking. Mm-hmm. And then we might say something in the end because we actually have some, uh, well, questions for them as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wouldn't be Dan Rather... And Susie Ormond? Okay. You'd be serious? <laughs> if, if we weren't asking questions and, you know, yeah, thinking, hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or Diane Sawyer? She's cool, too. She, whoever we need to be, we'll be, because that's what we do. Okay. But uh, without further ado, I will let uh, Ellen and Rob, or Bob, go. So, say hello. Here we go. Well, hello there. <laughs> it's so nice to be here and to be a part of the... Uh, podcast. Um, I'm so glad that Bob is here to share this story. And um, just want to let you know a couple of things about uh, why um, I'm, I'm going to share the story. Um, for me, my, my first thing is to go ahead and pay it forward. I want to be able to um, help someone to become an individual who will be able to assist others in need. Uh, whether it's a natural disaster or some wartime rescue or any other situation that arises. And um, I'd also like to take um, a date that has been very traumatic for me, uh, April 9th, and turn it into a very positive day um, that's a celebration. So um, those are two things that that I would want to um, make sure this story being told uh, will help to do. And at the end, I'll come back with it with my third thing. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Ellen. And my name is Bob Davis, and I'm very happy to be here also to tell this story. Um, I, I, I just want to issue a disclaimer before we tell our story that in this story, I am the hero of Ellen's story. <laughs> and I want to make it really clear that I don't see it that way. I don't feel that way about it. And it's part of the reason that I want to tell the story. And my reason is that uh, it's twofold. One is that this story, I hope, will, uh, will give the message that there's m- much more in this world going on than any of us know. However you, however you describe it, however you explain it, if it's God, spirituality, the universe, something was going on in this story which caused me to act. And I don't in any way take owner, like say that I'm a hero in this story because I was an instrument in some, some other greater good. And that's a very humbling thing. And the other, the other reason that I want to tell this story is because I, I want to encourage people to always listen to that little voice and and realize that it's always right to get involved to help somebody else if you hear that little voice. Mm-hmm. So, so that's 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 my two reasons. But especially, I want it to be really clear that I don't hold myself as a hero in this story. I was an instrument used by some other force outside of myself, which I can't explain. Beautiful. So, on to you, Ellen. <laughs> All right. So now, now to the story. Okay. So it was April 9th, nineteen eighty four. I had just gotten uh, home to my beautiful studio apartment on Chestnut Street in San Francisco. It was about ten thirty, um, and I'd only been living there for about a week. And finally, I had my own place. So I was in heaven. Um, I started to get ready for bed. Went into my bathroom about to start brushing my teeth and I hear a creak in the floorboards of my hallway and the door is partially open so I kind of looked through and saw this man creeping down my hallway. I just put all of my weight against the door to try to um, you know try to shut it and he was there just pounding Uh, That door opened, uh, made me fall backwards. I hit my head on the bathtub. And right away, he covered my mouth. Well, first, first I got out a really good scream, my only scream that I would get out that night. And then um, he covered my mouth with his hand. He showed me he had a knife, put it to my stomach, and then put it to my neck. And um, said to me, 
why did you have to scream like that? So I didn't answer him. He managed to get me up and walk down the hallway to the bedroom where he put me face down on the bed. He used um, the straps of my purse to tie my hands behind my back and he put a gag in my mouth. And he leaned over me. I remember feeling like his shoulder digging into my back. And he said, where's the money? So I, I managed to say it was in the kitchen. I knew I only had $11. That was it. And so when he came back, he seemed like he was pretty irritated. And he said, Where, where's the other money? And so I didn't answer him. I didn't, I didn't have any other money. I just, I didn't know what to say. And so um, he seemed like he was really irritated at that point and um he asked me how old i was and i did not know what that had to do with anything else so that kind of put quite a bit of terror into me um and then he said next time you should lock your window and i remembered that uh, having just moved into the apartment the the apartment had been painted and i tried to move the lock of the window um, so that it could be locked and it was painted in an open position. So um, that was how he got in. He managed to, you know, come in through, through a window that could not be locked. Um, at that point, I felt like this, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I, I heard him go over to, there was a light that was on in the corner of the room. He shut it off. And then he went over to the window and he shut it. And I knew that he was still in my apartment. And at that point, I just decided he might kill me, but he's not going to rape me. So I somehow managed to get my hands free. I turned around and I started kicking and hitting as hard as I could. I thought I'd be able to break out one of the windows, you know, just to make noise. Um, I wasn't able to scream for some reason. I don't know what what was going on that there was nothing, you know, there for me to scream. And then um oh, he put it he put his fist in my mouth and I bit down as hard as I could and I and I know that I badly uh, hurt one of his fingers because later on I found out that he was treated at San Francisco General for a a, a bite to the finger. Mm. So I I know that I did some damage. Um and then he bit me on the bridge of my nose because I think he was in pain from having been bitten, you know, so hard on his hand. Um, but then he got his his hands around my neck and I tried to get his hands off. I, I was just struggling and I was starting to lose consciousness. Mm -hmm. And then he let me go. Mm -hmm. And I could tell that he had run over to the corner of the of the bedroom and I got up and I ran down my hallway and I opened up my door. And I passed by this man who was standing on the other side of my door. And I just slumped down on the floor saying, he's trying to kill me. He's trying to kill me. So, Bob, you want to continue? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, uh, um, for me that evening, I was, uh, I was at home. I lived about a mile away. And I was studying for a, an exam. I was going to school to San Francisco State at the time, and I was in pre-med. So I had some difficult, I think it was organic chemistry exam the next day. And I made it a very strict rule never to go out, at least for a couple, two, three uh, days or nights before an exam. And um, my ex-wife, or soon to be my ex-wife, um, we had split up few months before, like two or three months before, and she called me and she said, you know, you have, you've never come over and seen my new, seen my new apartment. And I said, well, there's no way I, I can't, I got an exam tomorrow. I can't, I can't. And we were still very good friends. We were the best of friends. So I, I, I said, no, I really can't. And I hung up the phone and this is when I do remember like this, I had this really weird kind of feeling like the little voice in my head. This is the first thing that I started, I started hearing this thing that, well, no, you really should go over. You should go over. And so I, I broke a cardinal rule. I called her back. I said, oh, I'll come over, but I can only stay for a little while. She said, well, I'll make dinner. I said, fine. And um, I, I went over to her, this apartment and 
She she lived uh, right above the lobby of the building. There was no apartments on the first floor, so she lived on the first floor where there was apartments, and it was a it was an um, just like exactly identical to Ellen's. It was a, a a studio apartment with a long hallway from the door, and the bathroom was off to one side. But the hallway led to this big open space, and the far wall was all windows with a fire escape going up. And I went in and we were sitting on her, she made a, a she made dinner, we, we had little TV trays and we were watching the Academy Awards and um, we, we were sitting, that, that window was right there and it was, a, it was a really rare warm night in San Francisco so the windows were open and, um, and I was just wearing gym clothes that I, I had gone to the gym earlier and um, so we're on the bed eating, and I, I started getting unexplainable. I started getting very nervous. My, I remember my hands were sweating, and I kept telling my ex-wife, like, hey, what was that? Did you hear that? What was that? She kept saying, I don't hear anything. And I kept having her turn off the TV, and we'd listen, but we heard nothing. There was nothing. So there was no loud noise. There was no, there was no anything. And at one point, uh, we were watching the the, th- the TV, and I, 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 kept, I kept getting more and more agitated, and I couldn't figure, I didn't know why. I thought, I thought am I starting to, pra- what is wrong with me? I'm cracking here. And um, it was uh, suddenly, th- there was kind of a whoop from upstairs, and I remember thinking they were celebrating and happy about who won the, the Academy Awards that night. <laughs> But at the same time, I jumped off the bed. My, my tray went on the floor, dumped it on the floor, and I jumped off the bed, and I ran out of the apartment. I remember, you know, my ex-wife was saying, where are you going? Where are you going? And I, I, ran, I ran out of the apartment. Can't explain why. Every step of the way, I, I was telling myself, what are you doing? You know, stop, stop. And I ran up the stairs, and I remember going up that stairwell, that stairwell thinking, Oh my God, you finally cracked because I was going to school full time. I was working two <laughs> jobs, going to school full time. I was over, I was like, I didn't have a minute to myself. I, I really did feel like I was going insane. And I went up and I went to the door directly above uh, my ex-wives and I started knocking on the door and I didn't hear anything. And then I heard what sounded like a chair, maybe somebody you know, a chair scraping on the floor, like somebody was getting up from a table. That's what I thought. And I started, I, I was pounding on the door. I said, are you okay in there? Are you okay? Now, it, it was nothing that would have caused me to be that concerned. And the entire time I was doing this, my conscious mind was telling me, what the fuck are you doing? Am I allowed to say that? On oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Continue. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fine. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? I thought, what, what are you doing? I'm like, scream. My head, I was screaming at myself in my head. And I, I pounded on the door, and then I leaned back to kick the door in. And I remember my foot hit the door, but it didn't hit the, uh, it didn't hit, the, I didn't feel the force of a closed door, like the door open. And, um, my first thought was, here's a woman standing there in front of me, and she is, uh, so there's something tied around her neck, and it looked like a bra tied around her neck, mm-hmm. or something. Well, my, my thought was it was a bra, but she was standing there, and uh, I thought, and her breasts were exposed, Mm-hmm. And there was, so I didn't, but that's the first thing I noticed, just that she's standing there in, in, in sort of this, you know, undress kind of. And I thought, oh my God, they're having kinky sex, and I just kicked your door in. That was my first thought. That was the first thought. I, like, holy shit, what have you done? And, and so I, I, but then it was, it was sort of this, this Hitchcock moment where mm-hmm. all of a sudden all the details came to me and I realized that she had blood she had blood on her mouth and this thing around her neck was very very tight and she was clawing at it and I realized holy shit and then and then this thing happened because I I went into some other realm in my mind 
And just a little pre-story, my baby sister was at Florida State, and it was her 20th birthday, and there was a, a guy in the stairwell who brutally raped her and nearly murdered her, strangled her, left her for dead. And that had been about six months before. So from that point on, all of a sudden when I realized what was happening to this woman in front of me, I started calling her my sister's name. Mm. I started calling her Patty. Mm -hmm. And and I said, you're okay, Patty. I started I started doing this really gentle talk. You're okay, Patty. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I remember talking to her like that. I think Ellen remembers that too. Mm -hmm. And I took yes. her in my arms and I, I, I brought her, and I was still like talking really gently to her mm -hmm. on the one hand. On the other hand, what was going on for me was that I put her down in the hallway. She said, no, 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 don't leave me, don't leave me. He's still in there. I said, no, no, it's okay, Patty, I'll be right back. And I turned, and I felt something I've never felt since, and I hope I never feel it again. I've never felt it before. It was that I wanted to kill whoever was in there, and I mean kill. I wanted to kill. Mm -hmm. I, I remember thinking I was gonna I was gonna squash his head on the floor like a melon. Mm. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was a young man. I worked out a lot back then, so I must have been kind of an imposing figure because I I I, I got to the the doorway and I looked down this long hallway, and there's this guy backed up against the window, and I'll, I, I'll never this is a moment. Even when I talk about it all these years later, I still get a weird thing up my spine because I, I looked him right in the eye. And the, and the light from the hall, it was dark inside, and the light from the hallway illuminated him and was caught in his eyes. I, I would never forget those eyes. I still don't. As long as I've lived, I've never forgotten. Mm. And I ran in screaming at the top of my lungs, I'm going to kill you, you fucking son of a bitch. I remember yelling... And going at, going like full full on down down the hallway, mm -hmm. and he turned and jumped out the window, and you know it's a there was a courtyard there of these buildings uh, like shared this common space down there in total darkness. Mm -hmm. He jumped over the the fire escape, and I got to the window just as his leg was going through, and I. I think I even touched his pant leg. I dreamed about it for years after mm -hmm. that I was able to grab that leg and pull him in. Mm -hmm. And but I didn't. And but he he jumped out the window and I went to go after him and I swear to God, it was like something like pulled me back. Like there was a big hand like slapped me on the side of the head and said, Stop, you know, mm -hmm. stop. Mm -hmm. And I stood at the window and I said, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you, you know, like screaming. Lights started coming on, apartments all around and everything. And then I, I turned back and I, I got Ellen and I lifted her off the floor and I took her down to uh, my ex-wife's apartment. I laid her in the bed and I said, I'll be right back. And meanwhile, you know, we, we decided not to say her name because we didn't get permission to say her name. But my ex-wife says, you know, she's looking at me like, what, what is going on, you know? And, and, and I, I went outside, I ran downstairs, and I went around the block, and I got to, like, you know, around one part, of, you know, around the block to the opposite side of the block, and there was this guy in a car, he was parked right at the intersection, kind of like in the crosswalk, mm -hmm. in what was not a parking space, mm -hmm. and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and this is another moment where I knew it was him, but for some reason... I doubted it or something. I don't know what, but I, there was something inside me said, that's the guy again. And we made eye contact yet again. Mm -hmm. And he took his elbow and he locked the door and pulled off and went off into traffic. And, and I remember that it wasn't, I remembered then that it, it, you know, the color of the car. And I tried to remember the license plate, but it was like, I was too jacked up, you know, to stay calm enough to remember, but I remembered it was out of, out of, I think it was a New York license plate is what I remembered. And um, anyway, so that was, that was how, how it went right up to that point. And then I think Ellen, you want to take it from there? Yeah, I will. So um, needless to say, I was so traumatized. Um, I managed to hang on for about a month and then I moved back to New York to be with my parents. Um, we, we had a pretty sweet, and I don't know how much you remember of this, Bob, but, um, that last 
that last day before I left San Francisco, we went up to the Marin Headlands and my Scottish grandmother, who actually plays a bit of a part in, in the reunion, um, she came and, um, and Bob's ex-wife and Bob and I, and I had taken a picture of the three of them. So Bob and his ex-wife and my Nana, um, just with the Marin Headlands, um, you know, in the background and the Golden Gate Bridge. And then I left San Francisco and I went back to New York. I lived there for about uh, seven months. And then I, I felt like, okay, I can't live in my parents' house forever. So I moved to Las Vegas to be with my sister who lived there. And it was there that looking through the LA Times about 14 months later, that I saw a picture of Richard Ramirez, also known as the Night Stalker, with his head completely bandaged so it was just his face that could be seen. Mm -hmm. And something in me just said, that's him. That is him. I had not followed that story. I didn't want to know anything about murders or rapes or anything. So <laughs> I was totally out of any kind of, you know, crime uh, story. And so when I saw his face, I, I just knew it was him. And I called, um, I, I actually had a lawyer at the time and I called her and I said, it's him. I know that it's Richard Ramirez that attacked me in my apartment. And so she said, call the San Francisco police. And I did. And I let them know that, you know, I, I wanted to see him in a lineup because I'd be able to ID him, mm -hmm. not even by the way he looked, but by his voice. Mm -hmm. And so um, I called Bob. I let him know that this was going to happen. And very soon after that, he got a call from the San Francisco police asking him to come down and also do a video lineup in San Francisco. So I was down in Las Vegas. He was in San Francisco. We both were able to ID Ramirez, absolutely 100%, no doubt whatsoever. The detective that was on that case said to me, and this is in Las Vegas, he said, um, you're really lucky that he attacked you when he did. He, he hadn't gotten quite quite as bad as he, as he ended up getting. Mm. And so somehow I was supposed to feel lucky that, you know, I was attacked first or before he got really bad. Um, and there's a follow up to that that um, I probably should tell you now. Um, two years ago, I found out that the night after I was attacked, mm -hmm. within two miles of my apartment, his first murder victim was a little girl. So it was the very night after he attacked me, he went out and he found this little girl and he raped and murdered her. Oh my God. And so when I found that out, and that was only two years ago that I found that out. And when I found that out, I, I was devastated mm -hmm. because it, it meant that he actually, he was already that bad. And, you know, for, for me, I mean, I, I can't help but think that that little girl suffered what I would have. Um, so it, so that is what happened. He was already that bad. I knew how evil he was, and I knew that he wanted to kill me that night. I, I could feel that. Mm -hmm. He was enraged that I had fought back. Mm. Um, when, uh, when I finished with the police with the lineup, um, I remember the police saying to me, I wouldn't get your hopes up too high because um, at that point, there were so many murders that he had committed in the LA area that San Francisco probably wasn't going to pursue anything, that it wasn't, I don't know, the expense or whatever it happened to be, so that it wasn't likely that anything was ever going to come of it. And for me, I, I didn't care at that point. I just wanted to be done with what had happened to me. And knowing that he was the one that, that, that did attack me, it almost kind of put some sort of closure to it because I knew now he was at least in jail. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a comfort to me. I didn't follow that story. After I did that ID, that was it. That's all I had to do with that um, until many years later when Bill and I, uh, sorry, not Bob, sorry, when Bob and I uh, reunited. Bob, am I forgetting um, something no, well, about me? You know, no, no, I, I just want to say that um, I, I want to take it from the point where 
you called me. Well, first of all, um, that after that night, three days later, uh, mm-hmm. my ex-wife's apartment, while she was at work, was burglarized, and you know the window smashed in the in the middle of the day. Somebody came in and did that, and you know we always wondered like what the hell like was that the same person because the guy whoever did this to ellen well all we knew is that he would have gone up the fire escape and looked in and seen us on the bed me and and my ex-wife and having dinner and he continued on to an easier target he would have known that i was the one who chased him off and came in Mm -hmm. you know running into the apartment he would have known that he had just seen me down there so he came, I, we, I believe, like, you know, whoever it was came back. And, and when I went in to, um, to do the lineup, it's kind of a, you know, it's a weird thing. If I, I, I always thought of lineups as, you know, like a motley crew of different people with different looks. And, you know, and it was anything but that. It was every, there was, well, I don't know, eight, seven, eight, nine, I, I forget how many. There was a lot. And, um, they all had exactly the same coloring, the same haircut, the same clothes, the same build. It was very odd. And, but I went in and it was a little cubicle with this, because uh, I think there was more than one person looking at this that day when I went into the police department to do it. And um, they, um, I, I, I walked in and it was on the screen and I, I walked up and I said, that's him. I mean, I looked at him and it was like I hair up on the back of my head, that moment all over again. And uh, the, the, the officer, Falzone, was right behind. He says, oh, you know, hold your horses, cowboy. you gotta, you got to watch the whole thing. You know, I said, okay, okay. But I, I watched the whole thing, and, and you know, it was just, it, there was no doubt in my mind. And when he came forward, I mean, it was very weird. Like, they had each of the people say, shut up, bitch. Where's the money? And then turn their head, where's the jewelry? It was very surreal. And, and, but there was no doubt in my mind that that was the guy. When it was all over, I said, no, that's him. I'm 100% certain. And I remember thinking I, I would never like allow the, you know, the time to pass and think, well, was that really the guy? I remember telling myself at that moment, no, that's the guy, you know it. And that, that, that's how I, that went down. But, um, the, the police said at that time said, look, um, you know, they, they're the ones who brought up the break-in three days later, that they believed he had also done that. And they they wanted me to look at um, some things that he had in his possession. Because he stole, he stole all, you know, and I gave my, my ex-wife some really nice jewelry. And all of it was gone. And um, all the good stuff. And he even, she, she was slightly disa- disabled from having had polio. She had, she had to have these boots made that were outrageously expensive. And uh, because her, her, her legs were different sizes, her, her foot was, one foot was smaller than the other. And he stole those boots. And it was very weird that he stole those boots. Wow. But he did. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so they had, they had me look at these possessions. And there was two items that were less valuable pieces of jewelry that I had given her. And um, we, we, both dis- we both said, no, we don't want to. I, I said, no, I recognize that and that, and we don't want to touch those things. You can't throw them away. We don't want them. Uh, but I thought that was really odd that this guy came back, and he was probably looking to get Isabella, actually, and find her alone during the day. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and so then, then from there, the sands of time. Oh yeah, the sands of time. <laughs> How much time do we have? Do we still have a few minutes? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're good. We're good. The... Okay. Okay. So, um, so Bob, do this you is the, to... this is the no, this is the point in the movie where the like the the uh, calendar pages go flying by. by. You know, we just lost track of each other, and it's one of those things. And then, and then, but I never, I I, I never forgot. Ellen, like I always had this thing and she would enter into my mind all the time. And it was, I don't know what, it, it was like we were, we had this weird connection I, I, and all my friends knew, but I, I started looking for her and I couldn't find her. And I tried hard. I, I tried everything I knew. And I, the only thing I knew was her, you know, her first and last name. And she had moved to Vegas. She was in Vegas with her sister. Right. And that's the last I had heard. 
And then we just, I, I just couldn't find her. And all my friends knew that I was looking for her. So I guess, we'll, should I, all right, we'll move forward to, um, it's a, a rainy day in Kauai. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm laying in bed. It, the rain is pouring. There's nothing to do. And I'm watching the news and I'm watching Brett Kavanaugh getting, you know, nominated for the Supreme Court. And I'm just, my head is ready to blow off my shoulders. <laughs> I was so fucking pissed off watching that, listening to that. I well, I won't go on and on. But anyway, but I could go on and on. Let me tell you, I could go this on. This is and the on. podcast just, for that, Bob. You just start okay. going on and that on. Fucking cowardly yeah, little, that little boofing weenie. There you go. You know, talking about this his history of assault and the way he treated women. And I, so I'm on the phone with a, one of my best friends is a PhD psychologist, and I'm on the phone with her, and I said. You know, I said, this pisses me off so much listening to this asshole and they're even, that he's going to get on the Supreme Court. I said, all I think about is, you know, like, what do women who have actually been assaulted? You know, my my sister. I said, and I even said, and I said, and Ellen, I think about what what is Ellen thinking when she looks at this right now? Now, I hadn't, I hadn't seen Ellen for 30 years, and but I thought of, that's how much I thought about her. And my friend Phyllis, doctor, says, she says, you know, I, have, you still haven't found her? And I said, no, I haven't. And she says, well, have you tried Googling her? Mm-hmm. And I just like, well, of course I tried to Google her. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I snapped at her and got really well, well, ridiculous. You know, we kind of hung up. I was like really pissed that she's, well, of course I have, because I have. I, I Googled her, I swear to God, hundreds of times. But so I'm laying there and the computer's on my stomach. It's pouring rain. And I just said, tap, tap, tap. And I, I tried her again. I tried to Google her again. And something happened which had never happened before. And it said, did you mean Ellen with a, a completely different spelling of Baraska? I'm like, well, okay. And I, I, I clicked on that. And it was, a, it was an obituary for an Ellen Baraska. And I, I got immediately, like, I was, my stomach dropped out. I thought, oh, are you kidding me? Like, that, that was my fear, is that somehow we would go through life and never, never connect again. Mm-hmm. And then I'm reading this obituary, and I'm looking at this woman. <laughs> no, she's too old, but how many people could be named Ellen Baraska in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, so then I read, she survived by a daughter, Ellen, uh, with the last name, her married name, Gavin. I'm like, holy shit. And then it said, and they live in Santa Rosa. Like, holy shit. Like, really? And so I so I went on Facebook, because where else would you go? And I went on <laughs> let Facebook me, and I... Yeah, let me just right, interrupt yeah. for a second. Can I interrupt for yeah. a second? Because this is important. Yeah. It ties my Nana back in. So when my mom passed away, my mom was Scottish. Right? I have the Scottish Nana, and my mom was born in Scotland. And my sister in the obituary had written, we miss our Bonnie Lassie. And that yes. was more, wasn't that your connection to yes, the it was. Had that, to be me? Yeah, that's when I thought, oh, my God, Scottish. Like, because I remembered your Scottish Nana, you know, and I thought, oh, my God. Like, okay. And then I'm, so anyway, I I, I, I went on Facebook and I, I found an Ellen Gavin. And I'm like, oh, this can't be. And I, I look at the picture and I think, well, it's 30 years later. Is that her? Like, you know, and I think it is. So I, I, sent, I sent her a a friend request with a message that's I think you remember that you have the, the message said basically uh, were you used to be Ellen Baraska and I if you are you know I think our uh, you know you're the person our paths crossed one night many years ago and I've been looking for you for 30 years I think is basically what I said and then you know it went out into the ether and I thought okay and uh you take it from there. <laughs> okay, so I'm sitting. I'm sitting with my my husband's godmother in Sonoma, California, and my sister-in-law, who had known the story about what had happened to me, is sitting right across the table. But my my husband's godmother did not. And so I look down at my phone and I see Bob Davis wants to wants to be friends. And I and I just I think I just lost it. I started crying. I look at my sister-in-law and I said, "It's the man that saved my life." And then um, Cecile, who's the, the 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 godmother, she's looking at me like, "What? What just happened?" So of course I ended up telling her the entire story, 
and then um, and I think I think I must have uh, messaged you back at that point, Bob. And I yeah, said, yeah, it took a little while. It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and very then, quickly, uh, I think I think we only have five minutes left. Yeah, well, no, no, no. Sitting around, we're just sitting around having a glass of wine and pissed off about. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh also. Is that absolutely, what you were doing at the moment? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, walking yeah. around my house with my laptop <laughs> saying, isn't anybody in the Senate going to go ahead and make sure this doesn't happen? So the two of us were feeling very similar that on that morning. Yeah. So it was pretty interesting to, uh, you know, have gone through the same the same feelings that many miles away and that many years, you know, that had separated us. But... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that was the beginning of us being able to be in contact with one another. And and Bob, you you tell about uh, how awkward it was about the call. And we yeah, not, so now we're calling. a family. What? So I, the I, the call's kind of going south. Uh, were, were you guys saying something? So, so I, I was going to let you tell about what it what it felt like once we had um, connected via uh, messenger, and then for whatever reason, you and I just we we felt um, like we couldn't talk on the telephone because it was too intense. And I I knew that if I if I went to speak to him, mm-hmm. there wouldn't be any words that would come out. I would be so emotional with you know being reunited with him and everything that had happened. That there's no way I could get even one word out. Uh-huh. So that was yeah, the reason that I I didn't call him, and he felt similar. Oh, wow. Yeah, we didn't we didn't speak to each other for a couple of weeks on the phone. We just messaged back and forth because it was too it was too intense. It was it was just too intense. Yeah. I couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. Because and my friends would say, "Well, if you talk to her, it's like no, like <laughs> like what?" Okay, so anyway. Years. Wow, you so when we, when we met, it was I. It was I was by myself, and she was by herself. When I came to her house, and that's how we we um, hooked back up. And and um, I'm a little worried about time here. Do we okay, have, have time? so we want to we want to keep talking. I know we have some questions. I want to hear more. So let's do a quick pause, and okay. then okay. Uh, we're going to come back again. So give me one quick second. Awesome. We're going to just okay. pause our things right. So Bob, do you want to finish finish off where? Um, where we were? Well, I think um, we were too nervous to even talk to each other on the phone. We just messaged back and forth. And then we finally, we set a date. It took like two or three weeks. And all my friends were asking me like, why haven't, you haven't even, why haven't you talked to her? I said, I don't know. We just, it's too intense. What is the total time span of years at this This point? This is like 30 years? Like 30 years? I think it was actually 32, if I'm not mistaken. So 84 yeah. to 2018, okay. right? So that would be 32. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or 34. Um, 32 years. Yeah. A lot. A lot of stuff had happened, and you know, yeah. I um, I had written a story and sent into the local like newspapers magazine mm-hmm. after I moved back to New York, explaining what had happened to me and that. Bob had saved my life, and um, it it came out. It was um, it had a pretty big circulation, and I sent a copy to him. I never heard anything back, <laughs> so I'm not sure what happened there. I know he has a copy of it, but um, I put I, it away after after you know I had done that, and after all the other stuff that had happened with the lineup and all of that, and then I took it out when my older daughter um, turned 16. Because I thought she was old enough to understand it, mm-hmm. and I was also trying to prepare her for what you know could be out there in the world. Mm-hmm. So she read it, and I just remember she she um, she said, "Mommy, I'm just so sorry that that happened to you." Mm-hmm. And um, then my my younger daughter, uh, when she got to um, to to the age of 16, I'm almost positive I did the same exact thing with her, but she has no recollection of me doing that. But then when Bob and I reconnected, I, I pulled out, you know, I still have a copy of it and I showed it to her. And she also was just, you know, so, so, so sorry that that had happened to me. Um, when I've told this story now many, many times to friends and people who knew me way back when, but never knew that that had happened to me, uh-huh. they cannot believe that um, I went through something as traumatic as that. 
And I really have to say that the reason that I was able to come through that um, without feeling, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, really damaged or whatever is because I had somebody like Bob there that, you know, came to my rescue. And I know he doesn't want to be considered a hero. Whatever he was working through, the instrument or whatever, um, I think that made an enormous difference in the way my life turned out. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that like uh, for you to hear, Bob? Well, so, well, for for me, the. the um, the, I, I don't like, I don't want to, the, the last thing in the world I want to do is for somebody to think that I'm saying, yeah, I was a hero because I don't feel that way about it. I try to talk myself out of the actions I took every step of the way, literally every step of the way. And I, and the feeling that I had was that I had something compelled me to act. Mm-hmm. I can't explain that. It was something beyond myself. It's, it's, I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. But but I do know that what was humbling was that I felt like I was used as an instrument for some greater good. That's a very humbling experience, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and it's been this great gift to me to to realize that there's more to this. Mm-hmm. Like whenever I, I I get into a dark place and I'm I think that yeah, you wonder what what does any of this what does life mean or what is what is all this all about? Mm-hmm. I realize that you know you can go gentle because whatever it's about you know you know, we'll, we'll figure, we'll know, you know, there's more, all I know is there's more, Mm -hmm. there's more than we think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the other thing is because of this other incident that had happened in my life when I was a young man, that I carried a terrible burden Mm -hmm. that I was responsible for, you know, this guy, he pulls a woman out by the hair Mm -hmm. out of a restaurant and, Mm -hmm. you know, with a gun at her head. And I, you know, the actions that I took led to, I was in the car. I saw, I saw the, the policeman who was driving and it was surrounded by all these cop cars. And he, he, uh, he blew the guy's head off right through the back of this taxi mm-hmm. that, that was waiting outside of the restaurant Poor taxi driver. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And it, anyway, it's like, I, I it, it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life of seeing this happen and knowing that my actions led that to happen. And as irrational as it is, I, that was a terrible burden that I carried for, almost 10 years. And then the minute this happened, it was sort of like the, you know, the, I don't know, the heavens opened up and relieved me completely of that burden. Mm -hmm. And I realized then and there that it's always right to get involved. It's always right. You listen to that little voice. It's why there's, you know, flight attendants have rescued children that were being trafficked or, you know, there's all these different cases where people listen to the little voice and then acted. And, and we, we live in a world now where people are so isolated from each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're afraid, you're afraid somebody's going to call you a Karen or you're going to go viral because you've stuck your nose in where it do- doesn't belong. And, mm-hmm. you know, err on the side of, err on the side of, I don't know, like helping other people. Taking the risk to, to go outside that comfort zone and go and just keep going. And I, I like what you're saying about how you, you're you're just the vessel, right? You you're the conduit, yeah. and I think right. that um, if that's certainly uh, things that Mike and I have talked about is just or just do the work, right? Just let whatever universal love needs to flow through us to take care of the people that come before us. It's not about us; it's about them. And uh, you said that just perfectly, Bob. Thanks, and I feel like what you guys do, you make a conscious decision to do that. And mine was more like I was I was a puppet, like at the time. But it changed my life completely. It really did. It changed my life. It changed how I feel about things and how I feel about paying attention and getting involved and and um, when these things come up. Mm-hmm. So it really did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the vigilance and the and being a puppet, but being in, 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 <laughs> being a party to it right like it must be like yeah. is it like watching yourself from above what does that feel like it felt it felt very very weird i mm-hmm. i really thought i was having a mental breakdown mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i thought i was cracking up mm-hmm. I, I i remember thinking that as i ran up to that door it's like what the fuck are you doing stop 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 and i couldn't stop myself mm. i was there was no way i could stop myself 
That's yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Ellen, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, and I and I can't help but think that um, you know all of that um, has led us to this. Yes, tell us about this. And and so um, here we are. Um, and it, and I have to I have to mention the reason that I know about the two of you and what you do is because of Bob. He posted on his Facebook page. I want to say it was maybe back in March, Bob. Um, the story of Katrina Girl and the rescue and all of that. So when I saw that, he, he's always posting like really good things on Facebook. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the few Facebook pages that I'll actually really look at and read all the stories. Mm -hmm. But I read that story and then I, I, I researched it further. I went further to, than just that one story. Mm -hmm. And so I was so moved by the words, Mike, that you said to that that little girl, right? I mean, she was 13 when you were reunited with her. But the words that you said about how much she had saved your life. And it, it stuck with me. And it was one of those things where I was thinking, I, I want to be involved with some um, organization, some program where they're doing good in the world. They are making a difference in people's lives. And so when I, when I researched more what you were doing, that it sounds good to me. And then I spoke to Bob about it a few months ago, I think. And um, I, I just felt like a scholarship yeah. in Bob's name was something that I wanted to be able to provide. And so um, with that in my head, that's when Mike and I started texting back and forth and I was getting more information. And then little by little, it kind of all came together. So, um, and I, and I, think that Bob agrees that, um, you know, the type of organization that you have, you know, what your goal is, how many different types of people that you help is amazing. And um, for, for me to be able to help with that, that makes me feel like that whole thing that, that I went through is so worth it because this is the, the end result. So awesome. <laughs> That's totally awesome. So tell us a little bit about the scholarship. Okay, so um, it will be awarded on April 9th. Okay. The first one will be awarded on April 9th, um, 2021. So that's this coming April. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The reason I picked that date, of course, was that was the date that I was attacked. And mm -hmm. I want to think of that date not as something that was awful and traumatic and horrible, but something that is now going to be a very positive um, date that I'll, I'll look forward to. And um, it will be, um, it'll be offered to, and I think that um, I, I don't have that in front of me, but offered to somebody who shows the types of um, qualities that I believe Mr. Davis here has. <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> I can't help it, Bob. I got to give you a little bit of credit here. Well, just, just so, for, so everybody knows that I'm a little squirrely about calling it the Bob Davis thing. <laughs> I know. He, did, he wanted like, to call it something else, but I said, that's Gar my condition. The Bob Davis okay. scholarship. Mike's the same way about stuff, so we, we get it. It's okay. But it's okay to you know. You know, my, my my vision of what happened between me and Ellen is mm -hmm. that my guardian angel got, was in touch with her guardian angel, mm -hmm. and my guardian angel kicked my ass up the stairs. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I think of it as a guardian angel thing. That's what I think. And actually, when I shared with her the story about Mike, that I, that when I put it on Facebook, mm -hmm. what I put was, there are angels that walk among us. And that's exactly. usually when I find a good story, mm -hmm. I want to say, there are, there are angels among us. Be an angel. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. so, anyway. that that is true so um did i answer all the questions about the scholarship well so I'll, I'll read the uh what shanda wrote so um okay you'll submit a two-page essay describing how this scholarship would empower you to further your work in the service of your fellow humans please also include how you contribute to the greater good of your community as well as the global community Include your full name, address, by uh, submissions will be collected and reviewed with the recipient being named on April 9th, 2021. 
2021, and, yeah. And so we're thinking about from when this podcast comes out, which should be today or tomorrow, uh, so the 30th of November, the 1st of December, through the 31st of January. I think that's that's a good span of time, unless you think that we need more. No, no, no. Okay, I think it's so, perfect. So almost two full months. Two full months. Two full that, months. that gives them yep. plenty of time. Okay. They can write a page a month. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, because maybe they're slow. They're learning to read or write. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and and then they, uh, we as a group, the five of us or four of us, sorry, <laughs> will talk about it and see who's the most deserving. And then that person will come train with us for a month or maybe longer. And they have, uh, say, the whole year, a year from April to April, to to get out here and come train with us. And we'll do what we do. Sounds wonderful. So what uh, you guys can do, if you would like to submit uh, an essay, you're going to go to dirtycones.com, and there's a link that says scholarship. You will click there and follow the directions. And if you have any questions, you can always drop us a line, email, and we can answer those for you. All right. So, Bob, are there any questions you have about it? Uh, I only that our hope is that we'll be able to raise enough money that they'll be we'll be able to do more than one uh, candidate. I think we will be able to. That's my guess. I think so. Too. Maybe we'll be able to pick everybody. Everybody's a winner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can certainly set that up. Why not? Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for sharing your story. Um, we've got a few more minutes. Um, okay. Maybe we could. Um, have a little conversation. Yeah. Or a- Bob, well, I'm, try- I'm trying to think. Was there, there was something that you wanted to um, say at the end? Did, did you already? I think you might have already. I think I did. I think I okay. did. Only that. Only that for me, you know, it was one of the great gifts in my life. This incident that happened, mm-hmm. and um, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Because now we're all really good friends. Ellen and her husband are really good, good friends with me and my husband. And um, they share time with us up at the ranch, which is a really fun place to hang out. And, um, you know, it's been a, a complete joy and a gift in my life. Mm-hmm. And another time that Bob came to the rescue was when we were evacuated recently, uh, the oh end of God. September. We, we had to leave our house, like, within a three-hour period. What was funny was... Two weeks no, wait, prior wait, wait, to that, wait. yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Bob, Bob yeah. and Kirk had brought brought to our house to keep safe because they were in danger oh. of a terrible wildfire. All of this artwork that it, it was basically from your mom, Bob. Is that yeah, right? It was my, it was, the, it, was the, it was my mom artwork from my mom's house after she passed. It was the only thing that I I took, and and um, all my brothers and sisters thought about everything else. But um, I hope they never hear this. And so, uh, <laughs> but I, I got the paintings. But we, we had a an absolutely terrifying like twenty four hours. We had this, you know, uh, the the sky went completely black at two o'clock in the afternoon, where it was pitch black, like it was the middle of the night, worse than the middle of the night because there was no light whatsoever in the sky. It was it was one of the worst days of our life. But we were loading everything in. We didn't know what we were going to do with the horses and, uh, you know, and uh, it was just so much that, that so we, we loaded these paintings into a truck and we drove them after we were out of danger. We still had a very large fire to the east of us. It was a million acre fire that was only 10 miles away. Mm. And um, so we brought our paintings down there and they were at their house. And then two weeks later, I, we get, I get this call. I think it was like at midnight or something. And it's like, Bob, guess what? <laughs> so they were evacuating us. So we'll get on up here, you know. Yeah. And so when they showed up, I was so happy that you know we we had and we had a we actually had a wonderful week together. We had, we had a really yeah. good time while while exactly. California was burning. But <laughs> the thing the thing about the, the reason I'm even telling this is that when they got out of the truck, the first thing Bill says to me is, "Oh yeah, we brought your artwork." And I said, "What? That's like the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in the <laughs> sweetest thing I've ever heard." We at have the same to. There's time. no way we're gonna let it burn. You're evacuating <laughs> and you're putting our artwork in your yeah, car. Bob's artwork. Oh no! It's like, no shit. I mean, really. 
that like all your belongings, all that you're leaving a whole house full of memories and shit, and you brought our artwork back up. It's like, oh my god. Wow. But anyway, it was uh, we had a great week actually, or however long it was. Yeah, it, it was a week. Yeah. It was a full week that we were up there, and thank goodness because we didn't have to worry about COVID. We didn't have to worry about where our dog was wandering. It was the perfect yeah. place to be able to just escape to and be and be calm. Yeah. You two are bonded forever, I think, in that. Uh, yeah, totally. Give, give I believe you, so. Giving each other shelter <laughs> for many years. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to share this story. Um, it means a lot, a lot to to me, and I know it means a lot to you too, Bob. So um, we look forward to uh, to working together and to um, the future. And like Shanda said, we would love to have you guys on, like, ju just because, like, Bob, some of the stuff you were talking about, uh, your imposing being, like, an angry person is going to scare, especially a coward like Richard Ramirez, you know, who's preying on the weak to to be confronted. I mean, that's most bullies anyway. You, you give them something back, and most of them will back down. So just yeah. your, your confidence level, I, I think that's that'll get people through stuff a lot, you know, just fake it till you make it, you know, just be confident and follow those, the, the Jiminy cricket on your shoulder or the Jiminy cricket in your heart that tells you what you should do and then do that right thing and know that you're doing the right thing for the right reason. And if you yeah. do, you do the right thing for the right reason, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Okay. I agree. It's a lot better when you're in your twenties. I, you know what? You'd be I'm surprised. A man now. I, I'm sorry. There, there's a there's a story yeah. about during the Korean War, and there was a patrol, and they were there was nobody. There was like maybe twelve of them, um, but they didn't get attacked that day. And the guy, they said, "No, you guys were surrounded. There were like forty of you, and they were all tall and gigantic." And the guy had been praying the whole time. And felt that his guardian angel had come down and kept them safe. So you never know what imposing wow. presence you might have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You never know who's fighting on your side. He might have seen yeah. your, your guardian yeah. angel behind you mm -hmm. and went, whoa, I don't want to mess with that dude. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, <laughs> like your, your previous thing where you did get involved but ended up going all the way. He, you didn't need to go any further than Ellen needed you. And you were stopped at the window and you went back and took care of what needed to be taken care of. And that's, you know, all you needed to do. I mean, I, mean, I honestly, I, I swear, I, I, when I look back on it, I felt it at the time. I felt like there was some intervention which stopped me from jumping out the window. Because yeah. the guy did have a butcher knife mm -hmm. and he was in the darkness. And I, like, I wasn't even thinking in those terms. Right. But there was something I really felt like the this hand, like something just pulled me back. I said, no, no, that's enough. <laughs> so, anyway, that's, that's also, that's, that's a very humbling experience also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think you being open to being the instrument, a lot of people could take that message and, you know, universe, use me however best you see me, you know, or whatever God yeah. you believe in, let me do what you sent me here to do. And by doing my purpose, the world's a better place. Yep. I'm, yes. Definitely. I'm getting choked up. Uh -huh. I get choked up thinking about it. <laughs> but yeah. see, that's a beautiful thing because you have emotions. You know, it's funny. Uh, Black Hawk Down was on this morning and I was watching it. And it's a, it's a hard movie for me to watch. And my son comes in and he saw me and he's like, you okay? And I was like, I played it off. And, you know, I said, oh, I just, I had a cough going on. But I, I feel – I know what it's like being in a helicopter going to rescue people. I know what it's like when things are going bad. And so like those movies affect – Saving Private Ryan. You know, at the end of the movie yeah. when he's like, was, 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 did I earn what you gave me? Like did I do what I was supposed to do? Was I the best human being that I could be? And if we only asked ourselves that daily, how would we not be living up to what you and Ellen you know, have set up? You, you you can't not because you're doing the right thing. And if you're looking in your heart and looking in your head and hanging around with other good people, 
you can't help but be good. You have to be good because how I'm like, oh, I'm hanging out with Shanda. I have to be better. I can't be, you know, my B game. I need my A game. So it's the same, <laughs> same thing. You, you hang out with good people and, and they raise each other up instead of pushing each other down. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, coming down the, uh, the we, we I was driving down 101 from the ranch. It's like about a, it's almost a three hour drive. And me and Ellen talked a lot of the way we went over kind of what we we're going to say today. But as we were, we were telling each other, parts about the story we were both crying like i was driving in the car we were crying. it's a very emotional thing mm-hmm. um there's something about it that gets me every time like uh, the, the emotions involved it just are i don't know life yeah, and strong. death were just right there on the cusp of, of either way and right. we felt all that intensity together yeah 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 and every time i tell the story about lachey and i i get you know, a little teary-eyed, like every single time. I could tell it eight times in a row, and every single time it, it, it just, because it feels, and, and that's what humans should do. You should feel that it, yeah. because that's, yeah. the, that's the beauty of life. That's the things that you hold on to and remember and somebody's smile or a hug from somebody or somebody bringing your artwork and they put it in front of their own stuff. I mean, that's, that's that life of service that mm-hmm. I think that we're looking for, um, or that we try to do. I mean, that's that's what keeps my life good. Is that other people can smile, can live, can be happy, and by putting other people in front of me, it feels better than if I'm just me, 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 me. And anytime I've, I'm lucky. I, I think I learned that lesson very early. But anytime that I've put me in front of somebody else, it didn't work out right. Mm-hmm. You know. So as long as I keep other people in the front of my head, and that's what I'm more concerned about. I don't have to worry about my own stuff. It all goes away or works itself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and I just want to, you know, say this one last thing. And and Bob, I don't know if it's going to make you cry or angry, but uh. no, it won't make you angry. <laughs> so um, I have two daughters, mm-hmm. Faith and Grace. Um, Faith just had these twins, beautiful little boy and girl, four oh. months old. And when I think about when I think about that if I if I had not survived that night and that my two daughters, Faith and Grace, would not be in this world and that those two babies would not be in this world, that would have been such a loss. That would have been such a loss. And so I just I just hope that Bob you realize how much you impacted my family. It's something I can, I can never ever be thankful enough for what you did and, and and even if it wasn't you if it was you with the instrument it just it has impacted me so profoundly I just I love you Bob I just love you I love you back especially when you talk like Minnie Mouse <laughs> <laughs> the tender moment killer okay <laughs> I can't point fingers. <laughs> but it's so true. Like the the the, mis- the the magicalness and mysteriousness of of events like this that you never would have predicted in your life. You're never going to see anything like this coming. And no. um, as traumatic, and how much more traumatic can this be to to feel so much love and adoration and graciousness and gratefulness for each other is um mm-hmm. it's hard to put into words yeah. it really the emotions are what speak that i i, I can't even begin to tell you how uh, what it was like for 30 years just literally i i thought of her all the time yeah it's, it's hard to believe that but i did i thought about her all the time wonder where she was and then we find out then we find out and so, like i was working in a, a restaurant in san francisco that she she had come into a couple of times and mm-hmm. she was working at a restaurant at, you know in Union Square just like less than a mile away mm-hmm. and then all this time you know I drive through every time I go from San Francisco up to the ranch I drive through Santa Rosa where mm-hmm. her and Bill live I, I don't know it was just it was just yeah. weird that we were right next to each other all this time yeah and knew some and knew knew some of the same people as it turns out yes yeah crazy mm-hmm. 
It's Crazy a small world. world. It's really yeah, small. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, be careful you're mean to. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Don't burn bridges. <laughs> All right. Well, guys. Well, well, it's just so wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, and I guess um, we'll start to see some applications. Yes. <laughs> Maybe That'll we'll do fun. maybe we'll do another check in podcast in January something and just give a little update yeah. or something. How about that? That sounds awesome. great. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, you guys. Are we say are we saying goodbye now? Uh, well, we can say goodbye and end the uh, the podcast, and then we can say our goodbyes and and then get off. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, so okay. thank you for being with us. Thank you. This has been awesome. Sharing your time and sharing your story. And I think that it will not not only your scholarship, but your words alone, people listening to this is what they need right now because everybody's kind of sad and scared and alone. Yeah. And But we're not sad or scared or alone because we all have each other. We just have to reach out for each other mm-hmm. and, um, and put it out there. And that by putting it out there, that's where life is. That's where life's lived by putting it out there and, and doing something versus – well, I'm just going to stay here and not do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Die on your feet, not on your yeah. knees. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. So thank you for listening and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Oh yeah. Yeah.